I appreciate all of those who, who stepped up last week and, and helped uh, to make the service go last week. And really appreciate the, the little bit of a break. Um, but I'm excited to be back here with us now all together. Uh, I re- really miss all of you. And so it was good to see all of your faces this morning. Our scripture reading is going to be Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. We have a tremendous privilege, a tremendous privilege. And that privilege is that uh, we can hear from the God of the universe. That God is a God who speaks. And he speaks. uh, He spoke long ago at many times in many ways through the prophets. Um, But... In the last days, he has spoken definitively and completely in his son, Jesus Christ. And we have the record of that here in our scriptures. And so we are really privileged that we can hear what God would have to say to us this morning. And with that, I would like to pray and then I will read our scripture and we will um, jump into our teaching. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth, we thank you that you created and that you created by the power of your word. And we know that you are still creating by the power of your word. We thank you that the scriptures that we have is breathed out by you and is useful for teaching and correction and training us in righteousness and so god we ask that you would enable us to hear and to understand and to receive these words we ask that you would speak to us so that we could see your glory and the glory of your son jesus christ and that we can uh, be aware of the spirit working in our hearts and in our lives. So speak to us this morning in your reading, in our reading of your word. And this we pray in Christ's mighty name. Amen. Colossians chapter three, verses one through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put away, put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, 
holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the reading of God's word. We say thanks be to God. Well, we are in a series on uh, holiness. We're continuing our series on holiness. And this this morning, in order to approach this topic and uh, to kind of set us up for where we where we are in this passage, I want us to uh, to focus on three questions. So we kind of look at three questions and that will launch us in to our teaching on Colossians chapter three. And here are the, the three questions. First question is, what is our role in sanctification? Now, remind ourselves the, the difference between justification and sanctification. Justification is that declaration that has happened to those who uh, repent of their sins and trust in Christ as their Savior. There's a declaration that God declares them righteous. So that kind of positionally in God's, in God's sight, judiciously, they're declared righteous before, before God. Sanctification, on the other hand, is the ongoing process where that reality of that justification is worked into our lives by the work of the Holy Spirit. So in, in a sense, justification is, is like one operation. We, we receive this by faith. This is the working of God. Uh, and there's another, uh, when it comes to sanctification, there's a sense in which we cooperate we're called, to act, we're called to cooperate with the Spirit of God working in us to be obedient to, uh, to God. To bring about uh, the righteousness in our everyday lives that we are declared positionally before Him. So this is a work of the Spirit of God, but we, we work in cooperation with the Spirit of God when it comes to the sanctification. I wanted to, to show you a couple of uh, statements. Here's some old, old uh, statements, 400 years old or, or more, that talk about this question of sanctification and the, the things that are involved in sanctification. This one comes uh, from the Baptist Catechism or the Westminster Shorter Catechism. They're, they're the same. They actually are the, the exact same in the wording. The question is, what is sanctification? Their answer is sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man or whole person after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. So those last two I want us to focus on today, to die to sin and to live to righteousness. Again, our, our larger question is, what is our role in sanctification? I'd say these, this is our two main tasks in sanctification. Here's another old uh, uh, catechism question from the Heidelberg Catechism. I know many of you grew up with this. I did not. Uh, how many of you grew up with the Heidel, uh, Heidelberg Catechism? 
Here, question number 88 says, of how many parts does the true conversion of man consist? And the answer is of two parts, of the mortification of the old and the quickening of the new man. I like those terms. I like these old terms. Mortification of the old and the quickening of the new. Now, what is mortification? When you, when you hear the word mortify, you probably think, oh, I'm embarrassed. You know, mortify, it's actually the word to put to death. It means to, to put to death. And quickening is to make alive. And so notice that they answer this essential question in the same, in the same way. There's the mortification, the two parts of our, the role of our sanctification is two parts. There's the mortification or the putting to death or the killing of sin. And then the, uh, here's another fancy word, the vivification or the quickening or the making alive of righteous works in our lives. So what is our role in sanctification? It's two parts. It's killing sin and making righteousness alive. And this is a work of, the, of God. This is not a work that we can produce on our own. This is the work of the Spirit of God. But we have an obligation and a role to bring this about. Are you, you tracking with me? This week, we're going to focus on the first of those two, on the mortification. Next week, appropriately, we'll be focusing on the vivification side on Resurrection Sunday in conjunction with the resurrection of Christ but our focus will be on, uh, now have you turn your attention to uh, the middle part of this passage that we read as our scripture reading, beginning in verse 5. Here is our command. Verse 5, put to death, therefore. Here's that mortification language. As a matter of fact, I think the old King James Version has mortify, therefore. Okay. Mortify or put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now, I want you to notice the difference between the positionally and the practically. Okay? The, the difference between the positionally and the practically. Romans chapter 6 kind of says, uh, points this out in, in another way. And we've looked at this uh, in weeks past in this series. Where Paul writes, we know that our old self was crucified with him. Right. So you notice the past tense language. We have been crucified with Christ. Those who have faith in Christ and are united with him through baptism, as this passage says, are now crucified with him. We know that our old self was crucified with him. This is kind of describing the positional status. You, you have been crucified with Christ if you're a believer. But then he goes on to talk now about the practical outworking of it. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. That's the practical. You have been crucified so that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Okay? So here, what, what Paul is doing here and what he's doing in Colossians 3 is, is uh, the, the same thing. He's, he's kind of moving from... The positionally, our positional status through faith in Christ to now the practically, how this manifests itself in our lives. To make real righteousness actually in our lives. To make righteousness change, manifest itself in our behavior, in our conduct, in our lives. And so it's a call for us to put 
uh, this call of sanctification is a call for us to put to death the sin nature in our body. To make practically what we are positionally. Okay, so again, we have two parts. Two parts here. There's the mortification of sin and the vivification of righteousness. The killing of sin and the quickening. And that's the answer to our our role. And this week we're going to focus on the the first of those. And that command is there in verse 5. Put to death. Elsewhere he uses other kinds of uh, of terms here. Notice in verse 9 he starts to speak about putting off. As in using language of 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 clothing um, putting clothing on and off in verse 9 he talks about putting off the old self with its practices and as we saw in um, as we saw that Paul wrote that we have been crucified with Christ he now goes and says well practically in Galatians chapter 5 he says uh, those who belong to Christ now get in the process of crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires so there's Three ways to look at this. There is the, the, uh, the mortifying, the killing of sin. A, a similar way to describe it would be to take off the old self uh, and to crucify the old self so that we could put on the new self uh, in the image of Christ the creator. So that's our first question. Uh, our first question is, what is our role in our sanctification? It's to mortify uh, righteousness Uh, mortify sin and to uh, quicken righteousness or make righteousness alive we're focused on the second one next week this week we're going to look at mortification so the second question is what do we mortify paul says here in verse five we are to mortify what is earthly in you now we want to make clear here he's not talking about uh he uses language Uh, elsewhere here of our flesh he's not talking about actually harming our physical bodies this is the language that's used for the sin nature that we uh that we inherit from adam he's saying that we need to take that sin nature and put that sin nature to death the uh that this is this is the moral behaviors uh that we are to put to to death notice what he says in verse uh, verse eight, you must put them all away. And then he gives a list of some things that we are to put away. Verse eight, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Verse nine, lying. He gives some other examples in verse five, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. I did a little study. I wanted to find out. I know that there's several verses or several passages in the New Testament uh, that have kind of this train of terms uh, for uh, these sorts of things. These are called vice lists. And I thought I'm going to do some research this week on some of these vices. And here's two. He's kind of given two vice lists here. I found out there's 23 of them in the New Testament. 23 different passages. And I thought, okay, I'm going to compile all of them this is where i get kind of nerdy on this stuff i compiled all of those terms uh from uh, one english translation and i put them into a word document and i uh, sorted them alphabet alphabetized them all and then removed all of the duplicates and kind of came up with a comprehensive list of the things that we are to to mortify 
I don't want to take too much time on this, but I thought it might be kind of uh, helpful to kind of read through uh, that list. It's actually four slides. Four slides. But, but if you would, just, just listen. Abusiveness. Adultery. Anger. Or fits of anger. Arrogance. Bitterness. Boastfulness. Now some of these are, are nouns. Some are adjectives describing a person. So you, you all understand then. Brutal. Conceit. Controversy. Or an unhealthy craving for controversy it says. Covetousness. Which it occurs in our passage here. Which Interestingly, Paul says, which is idolatry, cowardness, cowardice, crude joking, deceit, detestable, disobedient, disobedient to parents, disorderly, dissension, divisions, drunkenness or drinking parties, enmity, enslavers, envy, evil desire, evil thoughts, evil doer, faithless, falsehood, filthiness, foolish talk, foolishness. Gossip, greed, greedy for gain, haters of God, hating one another, haughty, heartless, hostility, hypocrisy, idolatry, impurity, insolent, inventors of evil, jealousy, lawless, liars, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, lovers of self, malice or maliciousness, meddler. Men who practice homosexuality, the asterisk there is that there's two terms, two different terms to describe that, the active and passive. Murder, obscene talk from your mouth, orgies, perjury, perjurers, pride, profanity, quarreling, especially quarreling and baiting about words, quick-tempered, reckless, reviler, rivalries, ruthless, sensuality, sexual immorality, sinners, slander, sorcery, strife, swindlers. Swollen with conceit, theft, those who strike their fathers and mothers, treacherous, unappeasable, ungodly, ungrateful, unholy, unrighteous, violent, wickedness, without self-control and wrath. Do you see yourself in that list? Yes? Good. That's a good thing. If you don't see yourself in that list, I wonder, why are you here? We should see ourselves in that list. Those are all the fruit of the nature that we inherit when we come into this world. This is who we are. Now, some of us look at some of those things and you go, man, those are pretty extreme. Those aren't me. But there's, I bet you see yourself in some of the other ones. Notice it seems like kind of an extreme range of things, but all of them are vices. All of them are things that we must mortify or to put off. These are what we are called to mortify. So what do we mortify? We mortify those things that are earthly in us, our sin nature, our old self, all of those described by those uh, traits and behaviors. Well, how do we mortify? This is the focus of our time this morning. Now, how do we do this? My, my, the best suggestion that I was going to give for you today would be for me to just actually walk through an entire book written by a guy 400 years ago. Um, I know, which is your favorite thing when I do that to you. 
Um, but it's a book by John Owen, who was a Puritan pastor and scholar uh, in England in the 17th century. And he was a brilliant scholar, wrote a tremendous amount of works, but he was also a pastor and he wrote very pastoral works. And this would be one of his pastoral works. And it's called, uh, there's the M word again, mortification. The mortification of sin in believers. I really encourage you, if you, you were interested in studying this further, to, to get this little book. This is kind of abridged. It's kind of cleaned up in a simpler language. And so I really encourage you to do that. And I thought what I would do is just kind of teach through this entire book. Um, and so uh, that's what I was going to do. I was going to cover what he, what he does in this book. He gives the whys or the incentives of why we should mortify. He goes into what mortification isn't. He goes into what mortification is. He gives two general directions for mortification of sin. He gives nine directions for the preparation of it. This is, you're like, yeah, that totally sounds like a dude from 400 years ago. That's exactly uh, the way the book kind of feels in some ways. But all of it is helpful. Uh, and then he gets to two last main directions for the work itself. And I could go into each one. It would be way too long. But let me give you a simplified outline. And I got this outline with a little help from um, a, a, a fan of John Owens named Sinclair Ferguson. And Sinclair Ferguson helpfully points out uh, that often when we see these exhortations by Paul to put something to death, we think, OK, Paul is doing a good job of giving us the what to do. He's not doing a really good job of the how to. We need to go to a Christian bookstore in order to do that. He says, not so fast, not so fast. Look at the the exhortations or the issues that surround this exhortation to give us hints on how we might put this into practice. And he gives us four. I think this is kind of maybe a helpful distillation of Owen by Sinclair Ferguson. So let me give you these four. Learn to admit your sin for what it really is. Notice again, verse five. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then notice the terms. We've, we just went through page after page of these terms. Notice the frank terms. Notice the honest terms that Paul uses. Again, in 8 and 9, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. In other words, call a spade a spade. Admit sin for what it really is. Call it what it is in your life. Call it sexual immorality. Don't say, I'm being attempted a little, right? Call it impurity. Don't say, well, I'm struggling with my thought life. Call it evil desire, which is idolatry. Don't say, well, I just need to readjust the priorities in my life. Like, call it what it is. Stop the euphemisms. Use the biblical language for it. I think that was a very helpful piece of advice. Call it for what it is. Use God's terms. Second, see sin for what your sin really is in God's presence or from God's perspective. Notice Paul's words in verse 6. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, note, note carefully 
that we're called here that we should not think that the wrath of God is coming only on others. The wrath of God is coming on account of the behaviors, these things. So on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And if you claim the name of Christ, and yet you practice these things, this warning is for you. This warning here that Paul gives principally is for the Colossians. And for us, too. In other words, God's wrath is coming on account of these things. Therefore, I'm telling you this so that you stop doing them. He does something similar um, in his letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. I don't have it on the slide, but I'll, I'll read it for you. He does a similar sort of a sort of thing in chapter five, verses three through seven. He goes, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, notice the similar vice lists, must not even be named among you, believers, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. This warning to the Corinthian church is for that Corinthian church. It's not for... Those others, it is for them too, but it's, this is application for them. That's application for us. He, can, he, he concludes, verse 7, Therefore do not become partakers with them. Paul does a similar thing, 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous or wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This warning was for the Corinthians. Ferguson says this, see the true nature of your sin in the light of its punishment. Too easily do we think that sin is less serious in Christians than it is in non-believers. Let me say that again. Too easily do we think that sin is less serious in Christians than it is for non-believers. It's forgiven, isn't it? Not if we continue in it, Ferguson says. Take a heaven's eye view of sin and feel the shame of that in which you, you once walked. So see sin for what it really is from God's perspective and um, Number three, recognize the inconsistency of your sin. We see this in verses 7 and 9 and 10. Notice in verse 7, in these things, in these, you two once walked when you were living in them. Right? The, the implication here, which you kind of see is on, behind this is, by the way, in order to become a Christian, you repented of those things. That's why you turned to Christ then why would you go back and do the things that you were walking in if those were the things that caused you to turn to Christ? 
This, see the inconsistency in this? That's what Paul is pointing out here in verse 7. These are the things you used to do. And then notice in verse 9. Do not lie to another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. He kind of reminds them, you have been crucified with Christ, therefore now crucify your sinful desires. You have put off the old self, now take off all of the things that go with the old self. The old man was crucified. You need to be crucifying him. Ferguson says, new men live new lives. Anything less than this is a contradiction of who I am in Christ. So recognize the inconsistency. The inconsistency. And lastly, number four, just kill it. Just kill it. You're like, okay, he's given us what to do. Kill sin. Now, how do I do it? Well, he's like, just, just do it in a sense, right? It could be as simple as that. Do whatever you need to do to do it. Refuse it. Starve it. Reject it. John Owen goes into great detail uh, into the ways in which you can prepare yourself for how to do those kinds of things. But it ultimately says, hey, you just you need to recognize, recognize sin, root it out, find out what it is, and put it to death in your life by the power of the Spirit of God in you through faith in Christ. Okay? There are several more applications. Um, and... If you would allow me just a few moments to kind of think of some other ways in which we can look in this passage that gives us some things that we can do. Um, we're, we're going to get into detail next week that the kind of the flip side of this, what we should be putting on, what kind of righteous deeds we should be doing, uh, what sort of uh, works that we should be replacing the, the things that we have mortified and taken off. We should be replacing them with something else. Uh, and he goes into that a little bit through the rest of this passage. So I want to look at the rest of this passage, look at some of the other things that we should be doing and manifesting, and then like look at the inverse of that. Are we doing those things? If we're not, we need to be. So let me give a couple of rapid-fire applications. Here's one. Bear with one another and forgive, verse 13. Bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you bear with one another and forgive. If you are slow to forgive, if you hold on to grudges, if you keep a record of wrongs, I can tell you sin is far from mortified in you. Sin is alive and well. Remember the basis of our forgive. Forgive others as the Lord has forgiven you. How did he forgive you? Reminds me of the parable of the wicked servant, Matthew 18. Peter goes, how often should I forgive the one who's harmed me? Seven times? <laughs> Jesus is like seven, it, 77 times or seven times seven or what, what could go either way. And then he tells the parable about the wicked servant who was forgiven a great deal by the king and gratefully leaves the king's presence and then go gets another servant who owes him some pocket change in comparison to the billions of dollars that he was owed. And he goes and he shakes this guy down to pay him back. And if he doesn't, he throws him into jail. Word of this gets back to the king. And you imagine how the king responded to that. It says the master summoned him and said, you wicked servant. 
I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Okay? Bear with one another and forgive. If you don't have a pattern of bearing with one another and forgive, pretty, pretty assured mortification is not happening in your heart. Here's another one. Love. Verse 14. Just love. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The Greek word here is agape. It means love, generosity, kindly concern, devotedness. And this, of course, is modeled after the love of Christ for us, which was sacrificial. Notice this. Be one body. Verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. Now here, body, this is a reference to the actual church, the gathered church, a community, the body of Christ. Elsewhere is referred to as the church. So don't jump from church to church, right? It's being a part of a church that helps you to mortify, mortify the sin and, uh, and fleshly desires. You need other people in order to help you to do that. And you... Uh, every time you, you jump, ship, go somewhere else, you've broken and severed all those relationships where deep accountability can happen. You, you're, you're, you're shortchanging your ability to mortify the flesh. And these two go together, by the way. You cannot, you cannot love one another and be, and be a part of one body. You can't... Um, you cannot love another person sacrificially as Christ did if you jump ship and you keep going somewhere else, you severing those relationships. You understand, right? It's one of those things. If you to really love other people is to to be with other people and to do sacrificially for for them. That's sometimes hard to do. And it's sometimes very easy for us to kind of go, that's a painful relationship. I'm going to ditch that. That's not biblical instruction. That's not love. Jesus didn't go, that's a painful relationship. I'm going to jump ship on this person. If you do that, sin's probably not mortified in you. Be thankful. Also in verse 15, also later in the passage, with singing with thankfulness in our, in our hearts. If you don't have a demonstration regularly of some gratitude of the persons or things in your, in your life, that might be a sign that sin is not mortified in you or is being mortified in you. Verse 16, read scripture. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Okay, so the reading and the studying of the word of Christ. Let it dwell in you. Study it. Read it. We know that this is what this is referring to because he talks about teaching and admonishing one another with it. Here's another worship corporately, verse 17. And I would say actually the end of 16 too, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. 
Paul says in the parallel passage to this in Ephesians 5, he says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. These are classic passages about uh, worship. But notice the corporate aspect of this. Sing to one another. Admonish one another. I, you know, and I get that there's the, some who will say, well, I worship privately. I have this great Spotify or Pandora station, right? And, and no doubt that you're probably worshiping, right? But this passage says to one another. When we sing the words that we sing, let us love and sing and wonder. We're saying it, not just singing it into the open space of this room. We are saying this to one another, so worship corporately. And then all give all glory to God in everything. Verse 18. Excuse me, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. These are just some of the kind of rapid fire applications that I think Paul does say. He doesn't just give us the what to do. He gives us some of the how. But these are also diagnostic tools for us. If you are not bearing with one another, forgiving one another, sacrificially loving one another, participating as a part of the church body, if you're lacking in gratitude, devoid, uh, devoid of a diet of scripture, failing to worship corporately, then we can pretty much guarantee that sin is not being mortified in you. So friends, mortify. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you or as john owen in his book says be kill, be killing sin or sin will be killing you be killing sin or sin will be killing you ferguson helpfully reminds us uh, that these these negative commands here the task of putting sin to death um is not accomplished in isolation from the positive call to what we're to put on. And I know the risk of me focusing on one of those today forgets to, you know, doesn't get the full picture, but we're going to get the full picture next week of what we are to put on. It's helpful to reminder that this is the negative call here to put this to death is, is, comp, uh, is complemented with this positive call, and we're going to explore that more in next week. But today, brothers and sisters, mortify. Put to death what is earthly in you. Will you do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which speaks to us and speaks to all people through all generations. We thank you for this truth about our salvation. That we are justified through faith alone in Christ alone. And that we are sanctified by the work of your spirit in us. And God we ask that you would enable us and equip us and empower us. To work and cooperate with that work. God we thank you that for. Uh, for the truth that, that Christ died for our sins. God, help us to die to our sins. 
God, we thank you that Christ died once on the cross, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. God, we ask you help us to take up our cross daily. God, we thank you for the reminder that we don't work for our salvation. But that you call us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is you who work in and through us for your good purposes. And so, God of peace, we ask that we who bear your name, that you will sanctify us completely by the working of your spirit. And that our whole spirits and our, all of our souls and bodies will be kept blameless until the coming of your son and our savior, Jesus Christ. We know you are faithful and that you will do this. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Friends, will you stand for closing benediction? Reminder uh, of the Good Friday service this Friday. We hope you can uh, attend and let us know so we'll make sure we have a a place setting uh, for you. Uh, Now, brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ And the love of God our Father and the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.